0: And welcome to episode three of Tracks, the official event sevenfold podcast with myself bees now this is a bit of a different episode we are a couple of weeks later than our usual once a month apologies for that but there's a lot going on behind the scenes but this particular special on not ready to die the song from call of duty a real rarity in the back catalog of Avenged Semfold, is actually going to be cut up into two parts next week make sure you're subscribed because you do not want to miss our usual tracks treatment where zaki sid and Johnny from the band are going to be joining Matt in talking all about Not Ready to Die, how the song came to be, why the game Call of Duty has a massive part in the Avenged Sevenfold backstory and plenty more, including a tournament of uh, Avenged Sevenfold versus some mums. I don't want to ruin the story. Make sure you subscribe. That's going to be coming on next week's Side 2, part 2 of this Not Ready to Die special because in this very episode, you're going to be listening to my friend and yours, Mr Matt Shadows from Avenge Sevenfold and Mark Lamia. Now, Mark is the former studio head of Treyarch. He is, when it comes to all things Call of Duty, one of the founders who created and developed that franchise. We are going to be chatting things out, but I'll talk about that in a little bit. First up another reason to make sure you subscribe the next episode is going to be on roman sky from the stage so get psyched about that there is of course a one of one nft artwork given away to one of our death bat club skulls holders there will of course be a shirt available for a limited amount of time that is exclusively about not ready to die keep it locked on a7xworld.com for that now now get ready for what is an incredibly inspiring chat with Matt Shadows from Avenged Sevenfold and Mark Larmia, who is the former studio head of Treyarch and of course one of the founders who created and developed the Call of Duty franchise. I can't quite sum up what a big deal this is to have these two together for one conversation. They're both so unassuming, so forgive me, I'm going to do the big plaudits. Mark Lamia has changed the way that we all interact with one another. Gaming and online gaming is such a massive way that we interact with one another, that we have a laugh with our friends, that we form friendships. It is so big what Mark has done with Call of Duty and Matt Shadows, especially if you've got yourself a death bats club um nft you'll know that the future is his to write so with no further waffle from me this is tracks the official event sevenfold podcast i'll see you for part two next week but for now enjoy this exclusive chat with myself bees matt shadows and mark larmia Matt, first up, before we swing over to Mr. Mark Lamia, um, I wanted to ask you, your favorite games and the games that you credit with making you a video game fan, before I ask Mark the same deal with music.
1: Uh, the games that made me a video game fan, first was Mario Brothers getting uh, the Nintendo under my Christmas tree from my wonderful grandma who bought us uh, all, the, all the cousins. Nintendo, to our parents' dismay. Um, so it was Mario Brothers. that came with Duck Hunt, I remember that at the time, but it was Mario Brothers. And then as I got older, I played the Mario series, and then it was Street Fighter two and Mortal Kombat going to the arcades, putting the old quarter up and uh having it out against all the best players in the in the neighborhood. I would go as Wait, were, far- were you
0: were you super competitive about that as well, Matt?
1: <laughs> I was, but I was young, and I was more just like enamored with the whole culture. Yeah, how I would, you know, I would go and I would take cans to the store and I would um, recycle, and I'd get a couple quarters. I'd go over to the local bowling alley, I'd put them up, and I'd bring my my game informer with me. I don't know what it was called. I forget what it was called at the time. They would have a couple fatalities in it and a couple moves, and you'd have to go test your skills against these guys that were much older and more experienced and. You might get your head ripped off and, you know, everyone's cheering and it's very degrading, but it was, it made you better. And it made you, it was like this social thing where you'd go to the arcade and watch these people do these fatalities or, or fight with Guile versus Ken or whatever it was in Street Fighter. And it was like this culture and it was really, really seedy and cool. Something that doesn't really happen nowadays. I always think about those arcades when I'd roll up there when my parents didn't want me there and just the things that would go on there was very, very cool. And then I had a resurgence With 007, James Bond, Um, we would play every weekend. Uh, We'd go over to Val's house. Um, Her parents would kind of go out to dinner and all of our friends would play James Bond and compete. And we'd all call each other screen watchers um, because at the time, you know, you could see all four squares on the screen. And it was very maddening when people knew where you were. And then it was Halo during the Wake in the Fallen days. Um, where we would play for the first time. We could kind of set up a land situation where someone would be in another room on a different TV and we would compete. And then I got heavy into Call of Duty when the Rev died, which is a a little bit sadder, but it was a place where I could really be with my friends, didn't have to talk about the loss I had just taken. I didn't have to be out in public. And um, I immersed myself into uh, Modern Warfare 2 at the time, and I became obsessed with my crew and my group of guys and became very competitive um, on a thing called Game Battles. And Call of Duty took over my life for many, many years after that.
0: That's fucking great. I can't wait to get into how this all blends together. Mark, uh, I wanted to ask you the same thing, but with music, because Matt told me uh, in our conversations that you are a diehard when it comes to our culture and rock and metal. Who were your bands that got you into that kind of thing and some of your favorite bands in terms of i've heard you've seen rush about 6432 <laughs>
2: times yeah no look rush is uh rush is amazing um, melodic yet complex and just you know i'll miss seeing them live but um you know everything from classic rock to you know the beatles uh the who um stones but I was pretty much, you know, in my youth, I was pretty much an 80s metalhead or, or hard rocker. So it was like Van Halen and and GNR and even more progressive stuff. Like I was a huge Queensryche fan. I still am. Ozzy, Sabbath. It was like, you know, Zeppelin, of course. And anyways, the list goes on and on. Um Matt and I have gone and seen a lot of concerts together, actually. Scorpions, ACDC, Queensryche, and uh, I was even in a, a metal band myself in, uh, in college for just a little while. Uh, what was the
0: name of your band, Mark? we got to know this. Red Rum. Hell.
2: <laughs> you could see us live on Del Playa, you know, on, on any given weekend uh, back in probably 1988 or 89 or something like that.
0: Shout out The Shining of Room 237. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fucking great.
2: But uh, yeah, I could I could never keep my my um, myself away from from the vocals. So I got to do the stand in on and do vocals for War Pigs, which, you know, that was that was
0: good holy shit so so um how did getting into making games come about because like obviously through our episodes on track so far like we got how the sevenfold lads were were into sports and all these sorts of things but then it came to to being in a band getting into gaming was there something that made you uh, as as a younger man kind of go I want to do more than just play games. Was there there a transitional moment like that?
2: Yeah, there was. It was me saying I didn't want to be a lawyer after going to law school for three years. And uh, sitting in a library studying for the California bar exam instead of studying, which is unfortunately fairly common for me. I'm easily distracted, especially when I get bored. And uh, I pick up this uh, magazine called Computer Gaming World, which doesn't exist anymore. And on the cover of it is just this bitchin' MechWarrior 2, like just this mech coming out of like bursting flames and stuff like that. And I just, I remember picking up that magazine and just being like so happy because I played the original MechWarrior back in college and it was one of my favorite games and I was just so happy. And I was like, God, you know what? I just, I'd been in computers, I'd done, I actually worked at the computer lab at Santa Barbara. I'd... I'd actually woven games into courses for political science, an upper division course. I was able to actually weave SimCity into a course for a instructor who was happy to have somebody who knew something about video games. I was like, yeah, it's a total simulation. Like you plan it and stuff happens if you don't plan your cities right and everything. Anyway, so I was doing all this kind of stuff, right? And um, I went to law school and spent three years and studied for the bar exam. And I was just like, I don't want to be a lawyer. I really don't. But I'll be a lawyer if I have to. I'm not, you know, I want to make sure I can provide. And I did all that work and spent a ton of money at school and whatever. But anyway, so I go home. I'm like to my wife, I'm like, I got it. I'm going to make video games. And she's just like, okay, I know you're upstairs playing Doom and Dark Forces and a bunch of other games back in the day. She's like, but you're, you don't know anything about making games and you don't know how to program and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't care. I'll just go figure I, I, I'll figure it out. I'm, I, I, I want to be this happy every day. I want to be this happy every day. So I, I answered a, an ad from Activision, uh, I guess it's about 27 years ago now. And, uh, they were looking for people with JDs or MBAs to help them produce games. And I was like, I I just fell out of my chair. I was like, I didn't know anybody in the industry. I, I didn't know any lawyers for that matter. I was the first person to go to grad, some kind of graduate school. And, uh, I just, I was like, Give me any job you've got. I don't really, I don't really care. I'm just going to treat it as a learning experience, like I'm still going to school. And I'm going to get this small stipend, you know, because my friends were all getting, you know, lawyer jobs and talking about the money they were going to make and how, you know, all that. And I was like, yeah, 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 that's fine. I'll, I'll do all that later. And I just took an entry-level job burning CDs in 1995 with a law degree. It was the lowest job in production. They started, we started something called the burn room, which is effectively the mail room for game development. And I just took the job because I was like, well, whatever. I don't really care. I'm going to I'm going to learn. And that's exactly what I did. I just was there all the time learning from people and and just saying, what can I do even to directors and producers that, you know, were making games at the time? And I just say, how can I help you? You know, and they're just like, who's this guy who's kind of walking around. It was like, you know, it was a guy who was, you know, ridiculously in debt and freaked out that he just took an entry level job. And how the hell was I going to, you know, even pay off my student loans, so to speak. But anyways, I was also just into it. It was just, it was super exciting. So that's it. I started, I, I just took the job and, and fortunately the industry was small in 1995, much smaller, very small. And, uh, I didn't know, we didn't know that it was going to grow into what it grew into, but I was fortunate enough to kind of grow with it and have opportunity and stuff like that.
0: I think that's such a massive lesson for anyone that's out there listening with any kind of dream is you can just do it. It's not about thinking I'd like to do that. It's about actioning it and just deciding to put everything down and to knuckle down and to fly into something, especially if it's something that you can see enjoyment in and that you can believe in in a future.
2: Yeah, if you're especially if you're a young person without you know a ton of responsibilities whether it's a kids or a house or mortgage and stuff like that it's like you know if you have a passion and you want to kind of go for it you'd be surprised it's like you just you're going to kick ass at your passion so um whether it's music or games or sports or anything um you know podcasting it doesn't matter what it is it's like if you're passionate about it you're going to you're going to just do it a lot and you're gonna get better at it and you're gonna enjoy it along the way. It's also important to know what you don't like. So it's okay. If you pick the wrong path, don't don't be paralyzed, man. That's just, that's as important as knowing where you wanna go when you're young is what you don't, where you don't wanna go or what you don't wanna do.
0: I just want to ask you before um, throwing back to the the art of of making games, when did you feel that gaming... Because we we spoke about it briefly in what you're going to hear on the next episode, but... um, Gaming, when all three of us were kids, was literally that. It was just seen as a medium for kids. And it just completely blasted that. And I know it's to do with the evolution of of time and that kind of thing. But was there a period where you felt like gaming... For both of you, this question, did you feel like there was a period where gaming stopped becoming that? Because now, I mean, video gaming is what? everybody be it candy crush for the elderly to all uh, uh, like me running around on ghost of tushima
1: yeah i mean i feel like um it's a, a perfect example of the culture dictates what's going to be acceptable right and um mm. i look around at 40 years old and all my friends still play video games and that wasn't the case when i started um but you got to think these things came out in a mass production sort of way where you can get nintendo at toys r us and America was just blown away and enamored by this fact that you could have this at your house and do this. And then you think about the advancements where there was all of a sudden online, there was multiplayer, you could interact with people. Before all this, pre that, it was like unthinkable to think I can go talk to my friends. I mean, we're, we're talking pre cell phones, pre any of this stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And now all of a sudden you can actually like, what if what if that you know NPC was a real person? What if I was playing against a guy on the other side of the world? And then it became a reality. And when you have these very compelling, almost like AAA movie-esque stories and things that you can immerse yourself in, and you have this competitive aspect to it, and you have the action-adventure aspect where you kind of take on a role of a character and you build your character up and you, you identify with them, all these different aspects, I think, touch deeply on a human level. And for people my age, we understood that and we accepted it. And that's why we never let it go and it will never be let go again. My generation is the generation or maybe the generation after mine was a generation where competitive gaming and million dollar Fortnite players came into existence. Yeah, History keeps evolving into this thing where there's an emotional attachment to games. There's an emotional um, connection and connective tissue to how we all interact with each other through games and through storytelling. And it's just another very well done medium that, I can't imagine ever going away. And, and to be fair, my parents never had that experience. They didn't get to experience Mario. They didn't get to experience halo or call of duty. They didn't get to experience any of that. So they don't know. But, but I know, and I know, I know that it's not going away. And I, I look around now and, and everyone I know that used to play games still plays games.
0: Yeah. It's funny. They don't have those kind of things. Like I remember the, how I spent seeing in the year 2000 on new year's Eve was me and my mate playing a WrestleMania game endlessly until we beat the undertaker and the room went off like England had just won the world cup when that three count finally came and they don't have that kind of level of experience. So it's a really good point. I'd never kind of put two and two together in in that manner but like Mark you mentioned Doom as well to kind of bring this into that like both of those kind of cultures coming in I remember games like that and Duke Nukem having real crossover into like imagery that works with metal and those kind of things did you feel when you were Starting to develop games and things like that, being part of that culture, being in an eighties metal band, and I'm sure still like loving loads of rock music as you started working in Activision. Did you feel that influence in your gaming? Because of course, where we're going later on with Not Ready to Die and with Call of Duty is with zombies and that kind of things, very like metal imagery. Did you feel those two worlds kind of coalescing during your time of uh, of developing games pre? Call of Duty. Yeah, I did.
2: I mean, we had, um, I think from a pop culture perspective, I think it was when Tony Hawk hit and you had incredible soundtracks going into that game and uh, just the kind of music, everything from rock to punk to just, you know, and Tony Hawk was one, in my opinion, one of the first sort of household name games, you know, it, it, it that one, and then Guitar Hero, and of course, Call of Duty and Halo would become and a number of other games as well. But, Tony penetrated, you know, pop culture in a way that, you know, I think was incredible at the time. And I was there. I wasn't I wasn't working on it. Um, I was I knew the team that was working on it. And and uh, I was just like, that's amazing that. And that was when it. that's when it also struck me that, like, this thing is just getting so big now. Um you know, it's no longer this enthusiast hobbyist industry that I started back in, in 1995. It was blossoming into something. So, anyways, I, w- I was fortunate enough to, while you know, I was playing Doom when, before I got into the industry, I was fortunate enough also to work with the uh, id development team that was working on Doom, but also Quake Games. And, you know, I remember E3 a long time ago, it was either Quake 1 or Quake 2, and Trent Reznor was there, and he's setting up the sound, and I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. So uh, I saw the music as this being a platform for for artists, and it wasn't just about being coders or animators, for musicians, for sound designers, for storytellers. Along with Matt, it's like, like, I think I, I was like the first generation of video gamers. Like, I remember a time when there was no video games and I was a child and then there were just and then video games showed up. Right. It was like, what's this thing? Pong? What's this thing? Space Invade? What You know, in the corner, you know, what is that? My Atari, you know, Intellivision, all that stuff. Right. I kind of grew with it. But again, it was. It was still enthusiast hobbyists. I think it was, it's actually Matt's generation that around that time that I recognized, at me talking about you like you're like a youngster and I'm an old, <laughs> old person. It's around Matt's generation. No, it was, it was, <laughs> But it probably was, you know, another 10 or 15 years later where it, it penetrated culture. And I think Matt nailed it. It's, it's the social aspect of it that binds you together in a way that, because my favorite times growing up were playing multiplayer with my friends sitting next to me right? Like in the arcades, that was our multiplayer, right? Until, you know, working on, you know, internet games, uh, you know, whether it was the first MechWarrior 2 making that a net mech game, one of the first internet games, or playing Doom or or Quake Online or Dark Forces or whatever it was I was playing at the time. Those social experiences made all the difference in the world for for games, and I think it's, it's growth. And... As I always told people, I said, we're in a situation now where we're never, we're just getting more gamers. Like the gamers are growing up. It's a part of who they are. It's a part of their their childhood that they can actually hang on to and have fun with. I'm seeing it cross-generationally. I'm seeing fathers play with their sons overseas. Mom's playing, you know, my wife plays with my kids' video games. It's just like there's a generation now. We just keep adding to the arsenal of gamers. But when we say gaming... It's really all the arts. Right. And that's what I love about it. It's beautiful art, beautiful animation, beautiful sound design, beautiful storytelling, amazing music, composition. It's all that coming together in a way that I don't think you get in any other medium.
0: Yeah, it's all encompassing, man. Like I I was saying to someone recently, like the opening of movies are one thing and you can get some really, like I'm sure as you're listening out there, there'll be something that you think of like, oh wow, the opening scene of a movie. But when you get the opportunity to do that with gaming and like play that, that opening thing, there's, there's nothing like it. So I wanted to, you you mentioned their friendships evolving due to gaming, which brings me to you guys. So how did you two first come into each other's spheres of existence?
2: So, um, first time I came into exposure with the Avenged Sevenfold and not quite Matt yet was, um, we would just release black ops one and, um, my legal department, uh, calls me and says, hey, there's this uh, unauthorized music video of Welcome to the Family that's uh, being put to all the marketing videos. And we used to make these, you know, we still do make these gameplay videos, you know, and and you make these gameplay videos and you put them out. anyways, <laughs> someone at, uh, it was called Machinima at the time. I don't know if anyone out there remembers Machinima, but it was one of the first sort of gaming culture, you know, video YouTube uh channels so to speak it doesn't exist any longer at least not to my knowledge certainly not in its in in the form it was it was a it was a juggernaut back then anyways so they're like uh we got to get this you know these guys i don't know what's going on and i'm like this song sounds great but uh let me uh you know let me go (laughs) because they had just launched their album around the time that we had launched the the black ops it was like the fall i think of 2010 right matt yeah (laughs) yeah so so anyways so i'm like I have to I pick up the phone. Like, I'm like, all right, all right, just, you know, let me, let me, let me, I know some people over there. Let me give them a call before this gets out of hand and everything. And I, I called them, I called him over there and I'm just like, Hey, uh, you got to get permission for stuff like this is, you know, you can't just do this sort of thing. And, uh, they took it down, which was, you know, nice. And, and, uh, you know, and then later on, when I told Matt about it, he's like, dude, that's hilarious. Like, I had no idea that the Warner Music guys totally did that. And uh, the Warner Music guys at the time were were great. I mean, they are they were big Call of Duty fans, too. And, uh, you know, it, it ended well. Yeah. I love it. Really, I love it. It was
1: definitely Xavier. Uh, I think yeah. Xavier came to us and said, hey, we're doing like a, I think we released Welcome to the Family before we released like a real single. And what we were doing was. He came to us and said, hey, we're going to, there's this new, the new Call of Duty game. I know you guys are into it. I'm going to cut a music video to it and then put that out as like a pre-record sort of thing. And I had no clue that it was, that it was illegally done. Yeah. <laughs> but, but in my mind, it was like, oh, this is awesome. So yeah. did it um, and uh, Xavier now works at Phase Clan and he probably works there <laughs> because he's so good at doing these sorts of things. Like, Even though he was you know, in the gray, for sure, um, super cool that he did that. And uh, yeah, so at the time I hadn't met Mark yet, but, he was giving us cease and
2: desist. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, hell, so. Of, hell of a way to make an impression, Mark. <laughs> yeah, you
2: know, some, someone's got to do the job. So, anyways, I kept it out of the out of the lawyer's offices. That was the important part. I took care of that. But it was it wasn't until. Um, our real first encounter was after we released Black Ops, um, the team was working like super hard on content. In particular, we were really investing in like the zombies stuff. We were, we were really trying to nurture that part of the game as well as we make uh, multiplayer maps and things like that. And we had this really cool um, experience in development called Call of the Dead. And it was like this Hollywood-esque style tribute to the great George Romero. Um, who's, of course, the father of the zombie genre and someone who we owe so much of our inspiration to, really. So um, it had this, what was different about this was it had this really, you know, had this fun cast of of, of characters with Danny Trejo and Sarah Michelle Gellar and Robert England and, and Michael Rooker and George Romero. And they were all kind of playing themselves right so we were doing this we were really investing in it we had the talent we were doing um likenesses and voices and and really making a big production out of this and i remember our audio director uh brian tui came to me and he's like hey you know why don't we get to complement this a really awesome hard rock or accomplished metal act um to, to do this. And I love working with Brian Toohey on music. I mean, from having the Stones play in the middle of uh, Black Ops when you're, you know, doing whatever, you know, and all the music that our audio team was creating was, I was super supportive and, and wanted to help them, you know, make sure they could, they could realize all that. So anyways up until that point we've been making our own sort of metal music which is uh, as easter eggs which which um, was all done in house produced written composed a lot of it by uh, by kevin sherwood and 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 then other folks inside the audio team uh, all working super hard as a labor of love and for them to go like hey we want to bring in somebody else can you but can you find us somebody who's you know who's sort of a big name act. And so I talked to our lawyers and our music licensing team, and I was just like, look, if you can find somebody who's a big name act, but they have to be, they have to be like legit diehard Call of Duty fans because they got to, like, they're going to have to get into the material. They're going to have to understand it. They're going to have to understand how it's being used. It's, I want an original composition for the game, for this, for this game mode that we launched with. And um, it was going to take a lot of time for whoever did it, like whoever was going to do it was going to have to sink a lot of time in it, into it and with us. And they were going to have to be all that going on. So the lawyer who I was working with and our music licensing team, um, she in a former life was a lawyer at Warner Music, who is, of course, their their label at the time. And she threw out a few bands, and Avenged Sevenfold was clearly at the top. And and you know, I ran it past a few people. Most importantly, my audio team, and they were just like, "Fuck yeah, let's do this. Um, this sounds awesome." And um, but you never know, right? You never know what when you get together whether there's going to be that connection creatively and, and otherwise. And I'm happy to report that it was that it was really something Matt came in and he came in with some management and some folks from Warner's good, all of them good folks. Um, but Matt invested his time up front with us and spent, I introduced him to the team and the people who were making the mode. And he was curious in all the best ways. Like you, like you, he really wanted to understand the creative behind it, but also how we were doing it. He was just curious in a way that I think everyone should be that I, that, 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 that I still was with my team since they would quite frequently do things that would just completely blow me away. And I'd be like, how'd you do that? So he can't, he comes into the studio and he spends a lot of time with Brian Toohey going deep on it. And Brian Toohey our audio director, but, um, you know, the audio such an, the audio design, the sound design is so important to, uh, the, the zombies mode in particular. Uh, in all gaming, but in that mode they 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 had a they were playing a huge and we'd always put these easter eggs out. So, yeah, it was honestly, I mean, you know, Matt, it was like it was like even after our first meeting, it was like sitting with a with an old friend who you just had so much in common with. And there was like this mutual respect between, you know, his artistry and what we were making. And he he totally was genuinely interested in into what we were doing. And it was, um, you know, kind of the rest was history with that.
0: That's that's. That is so rad. And Matt, what was it like being on the other side of that? Because you love Call of Duty. It's an, like when we were talking earlier about the difference in games when they were just something that you would buy and play. Like it's become an entire lifestyle for people. And Call of Duty was such a big part of your lifestyle at that time. How badly did you want this gig when it was up? Like you, like and not for popular reasons, right? You, you'd had the the experience of chapter four being on Madden and seeing what it can do for exposure for the band. This was more than that because it was a labor of love. How badly did you want to be the band that was picked in that, in that instance?
1: We wanted it bad because if you think about it and we've still, we've still done this to this day, we've never done a, a, a original song for anything, whether mm. it's a movie or a video game Call of Duty was the first time that we broke our rule, where it was, you know, we're going to do an original song before you could license the songs out. Cool. They're done. We really want to focus on albums. We really want to keep our, you know, the pieces of work that we do really concise and like very obvious. These are the records. But with Call of Duty, there was something about being a super fan. um, and, And by super fan, I mean, I knew every alleyway every nade over a building every single damage point every single gun every single game battles night that i'd spent for the last you know two call of duties playing with my boys which kind of replaced basketball in a way right where that was my competitive thing at night i was going to play six hours of game battles and it was going to be black ops to be able to to participate. And also we were playing zombies, right? And zombies is a long round. That's like the whole night is gonna be taken up. You're gonna play all night until somebody's Xbox crashes or you just have to give up. Yeah. And it was one of those <laughs> things where I was so deeply ingrained in the culture of it that even like the start of the map when it goes, dun, 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 I just wanted to do those. I was like, let us just do those bumpers. Like we wanted to Which do Which we did eventually, right? Yeah, we did eventually, yeah. To know the culture and to know that to be killing zombies horde after horde and understand what kind of music needs to happen with that, it's not a traditional song. It's not a song that that can be just kind of put together and not seeing the visuals. Like this is a song that has to go places. and has to drive you. It has to be adrenaline. It has to be all sorts of things. And so I felt like we were just the band to do it. Right. Like, like, I understand what this needs. This needs to be long because no one wants a song that you spend all you have to get to a certain level just to open the song up and hit the rocks. And no one wants to put a three minute song. You want seven or eight minutes of like madness. Right. And so there was all these aspects that I thought that we probably understood better than anyone else. So, yeah, we wanted it. We we just wanted it now.
0: Yeah, I can so see the point of that as well. Cause when you look at Not Ready to Die, actually, Mark, I'd like to ask you this. Um, the thing that showed that there was just no bands that could have done this the way that you did was when you put damned in there the 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 orchestration of that and putting it and incorporating it and making it sevenfold. As
2: long as you're mine.
0: When you got that back, that must have been a kind of self high five of getting the right band at that point in time because it becomes undeniable
2: yeah so yes is the in, the short answer is yes um yeah. but you know when you're creating when you're bringing somebody into your creative there's a ton of trust right and it was clear after that meeting that map and the team were just going to You know, they were going to do what they needed to do. Then it was like what I would do for my team was like, what do you need? Like, can we get anything for you visuals or this or how about he wanted a stem of the of the of the zombies theme that he, of course, wove into the to the track. So I just remember getting the track back. Like, honestly, it was like they went away. They're professionals. They're awesome at what they do. They came back, and like Matt said, it's like, holy shit, what is this, like a seven and a half minute song? Like, it was epic. I was just like, and it has so many different parts. I didn't I didn't listen to it on my own I brought it into Brian to office and he'd done him and his team had done so much work and I just remember sitting there with Brian and I think it was Kevin Sherwood and maybe Chris Cowell I think and these are all you know people who just love uh love audio design love music and love metal so it was all good so we get this thing and we're just totally blown away. It's like, it's hard. It's uh, aggressive. It's epic. It's progressive. It's like, it was definitely made for our zombies mode. I mean, there's parts of that where you are just, I, I would put it on and I would just start slaying zombies. Like, you know, cause I'm, you know, <laughs> like, you know, music to slay zombies by it was absolutely. And just the, the, the lyrics and like everything, it was just, uh, we were, we were completely blown away and, you know appreciative and we're just like wow this is awesome oh, God,
1: there's always that outside, like you get the, you get the people at the label and you get the people that are like, yes, you got this big placement. Now make a song that we can use call of duty to put it on the radio and have this big push. And mm-hmm. what we did is we just said, no, we're making a song that is like for killing zombies. <laughs> like, it's like art for art's sake. Like yeah. you're not going to get that on the radio. You're not going to get a push out of it. Other than this is going to be a hardcore, like the hardcore zombie fans are going to love it. They're going to fall in love with it. The people that are playing the game, it's going to enhance the the action that's happening already. Yes. And I'm glad we always kind of make those left turns and just go with with our gut and like, and, and if we weren't fans of it, I don't think we would have done that. We probably, yeah. probably would have put a, tried to make a radio song or not a radio song, but something that could be yeah. a single. But I think when you're going for art's sake, it's like such a better result
0: yeah it's the sevenfold way man it's ev- literally what we found on tracks is ev like there's no- there's nothing that isn't done for artistic reasons it's what i love about this and like I- i've got to be honest like, i'm i'm inspired by creativity on any level and so it's brilliant to hear mark talk about seven creativity working within call of duty what i wanted to ask you matt is you and mark are, are like really good friends and mark's it's weird to say it with you sat here mark but like mark's like one of the most creative like has done something that is so massive for our time as far as call of duty and what it's done for social interaction and all manner of shit which is why when mark suggests things for sevenfold you listen Right. So so how is how has Mark's influence uh found its way into Avenge Sevenfold? Because this was something that we spoke of briefly when we were putting this chat together.
1: You know, it's funny because there's certain people in your life that you trust their opinion on any subject. Right. Yeah. And I, I actually trust a few people in my life on most all subjects, and I and I trust very few people on anything individually. So it's a kind of a you know, because I feel like they have like this macro view of the world and can, I think Mark is really good at putting right the right pieces in place. And I think he's very good at observing. And then I've noticed that he speaks when he has something very good to say. Good's not the right word, but very very um, important to say and I, mm. I respect him as a friend we've used mark as a, a mediator between band members at certain points <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: didn't, I didn't know that part <laughs> over, <Amazing. laughs> over lots of
1: glasses of whiskey and he's also <laughs> into our shows where he's watched the performances and he said like one time he was like hey i think you can go deeper into some of these eras i think it's cool that you had the nightmare era and do this and that and it's, it's more of an, a nuanced conversation than that but just Little pointers and observations that I think are important, and they're, they're important. Mm. Um, I don't know if he knows that I take it in, but I do. I've taken in a lot of stuff. I call him over things that you would never think has nothing to do with games or music, right? Marky, mm. right? I've, I've asked for, sure. you
2: for advice on things that it started off with calls about weapon balance and Call of Duty. Once he found his way into the studio, it was like a direct hotline into Call of Duty. Yeah. He's like, what was great was like, he's under NDA. So like, I'd be like, come on over and play. Like, it was great to have yeah. like, you know, come on over and play. I remember you were like one of the first people to play outside of our studio to play black ops Two multiplayer. And like, it would go from those calls back in the day. And, and obviously now. And I'd I send you long emails about weapon balance. <laughs> <laughs> it would be like, I'd be like, Hey guys, here's a, here's some, here's some feedback. Cause, and you know what? They loved it because a, they knew he was legit, but B It's like, honestly, early on, one of the difficult parts about game development is you're in your bubble. You don't, you know, you just want to make sure you're not smoking from your own stash when you think something is good. You need to get, you need people to play it to get feedback. And there's not that many people who aren't part of the company or part of the publishing entity, whatever it is, right? Somebody who's outside, who clearly wants a great game and doesn't give a shit. Like, they're just going to tell you what they think. Like, you know, and Matt, obviously he cares and says he doesn't give a shit, but if you know Matt, you also know he will just tell you what he thinks. What you see is what you get there and, um, for better and for worse sometimes. So anyways, yeah, it was, it was, but, but now we talk about all manner of things from the music business to the gaming business to, um, what's going on with death bats to, to web three to, I mean, just you name it. I mean, he's a great friend. i I feel he's one of my best friends. He's, I'm very fortunate to have met him. And over the years, just, you know, I think us both being new fathers around the time that we were, uh, meeting each other was, you know, a bonding thing. And our, our families have got, you know, love each other and get together and, you know, everything from Disneyland to holidays and whatever. It's just, you know, it's nice to know that, that, that when I, uh, that when I, um, I'm talking to him, he, he doesn't think it's all
0: throwaway. So that's nice. This is such a such a unique situation to have a conversation with the two of you. Mark, I just spoke about what I think Call of Duty has done. Matt, like I think is in the process of changing how artists can work how music can work and the digital landscape like this is a very unique situation to have two people that change shit on a in my opinion biblical level well, um
2: can i just can i just, yeah. tell you about something that i think was something we bonded over matt very early on was we were in charge of, and, and I have, when, you know, th- thank you for the compliments, but I have a massively, I had massively talented teams behind me making these games. My job was honestly to clear the decks, make sure they had what they need, make sure they're performing at the best level possible. Like I really saw that as my as my job and then also connecting the dots and then occasionally bulldozing through uh, whatever was in our way, which, which is important, uh, especially as these things get bigger and bigger. Of course. Um, but but one of the things that I think we, ha- we had in common was we always talk about our fans loved what we did last. Where's the line where you're honoring that, but that you're fulfilling what you want to do creatively. Um, and, and I think when you're in that position, um, you have to be in that position to understand it. And you have to know. So at Treyarch, it was like, we, may, we went from making Black Ops 1 to Black Ops 2. And if you were in those early Black Ops 2 green light meetings, They were like, yeah, so it's Cold War going from the 60s and we're just going to maybe just, you know, do the 80s. And I'm like, yeah, and we're going to do the future Um, 2025, which is not even the future anymore. And half the stuff in there is, you know, go back and play the game. You'll see. But anyways, it it was just, you know, knowing how we always would do something different. And I I, I would talk to him about that. I was like, it was necessary. If you want to keep a team engaged or musicians engaged, they need to be able to exercise their creativity. Yeah. And, and, but at the same time, you know, you're making stuff for people who love your stuff, who make it so that you can have a career and do what you do. So, right. So figuring out that line of like, how do you honor what you've brought to the table and why people love what you've made? Yeah. And how do you, but how do you push it? And where's that line? And sometimes you throw out the line altogether. Because yep. it just has to. Um, and sometimes, you know, you can see, you know, you're honoring your past, but yet you're giving people something new, right? And there's always this thing, it's like, oh, they just made what they made before. If you get too close, right? In 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 uh in gaming development, they say, oh, they just copy-pasted it, which of course, you know, anyone who's done any game development knows that even that doesn't work. Um <laughs> But the point is 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 you gotta exercise um creative muscles. And out of that, I think you, you can do it for a long time. And I think that, that, that it'll be the best stuff. I mean, you'll have stuff. I mean, you listen. to, I mean, the, there was no one better at it than the Beatles inside of a decade span. If you listen to their music and you're just like, how did they go from that album to this in, you know, a couple of years? Like, wow. Like they, they literally, despite being the world's most popular band did things that seem like Popular bands should not be doing right, like completely changing their sound and the kind of music and everything they're doing. And and you see that as the, with the progression of Call of Duty games that we were making, we were changing. But I also saw it with Avenged Sevenfold and the albums that they were making and how, you know, yeah, clearly your DNA is is in there and that's important, yeah, you know. But it does bring something new and fresh to the table always. And that was a, I think that's it's hard to do, but that's that's what makes it fun if you're creating as well as team being able to do that
0: and i think that what is interesting about that and your friendship and bringing that together is the importance of having smart people around that will tell you when something isn't right. Because of your both of your levels of success, there will be a lot of people that will be telling you what they think you want to hear. And the best thing that you can do as a creative is to tell people what you think of something. That feels like the kind of relationship that you guys have when it comes to you playing mark sevenfold things or mark you having Matt beta test games like is, is that a is that a fair reflection of your friendship
1: sure i mean we're and we're individuals right like one thing that i do in my life is i i don't listen to criticism from people that haven't really done it or you know i think there's a kanye line don't listen to people that haven't done it better than me uh, yes, whatever it is yeah, but yeah. but at the same time i also curb enthusiasm in a way like if there's too much praise i also don't let that get involved right because Mm. there's a lot of cheerleaders in this world there's a lot of people that are just going to tell you what you want to hear and they want to be on good terms when people bring ideas to me because i don't want to be the friend that doesn't at least verbalize my concerns yeah it's your job
0: if if you see an iceberg it's your job to point and say iceberg to your friend and also cheer them on if they want to do it anyways
1: you know like it's, 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 it's true True. You have to kind of, and I feel like you want to be around people that are like that because your friends aren't always right, but they will tell you their honest opinion and maybe you can sway them and maybe it causes a discussion. But if everyone says, yeah, yeah, you're right.
2: There is no discussion. It's just, but you kind of want to. I, I like, and there's kind of, no long nights around a fire debating stuff, uh, while you're drinking wine or whiskey, right? Yeah, no mark. There is no free will, yes, there
0: We <laughs> <laughs> We're oh not having God. that debate <laughs> My God, are, this, this podcast just became four hours. I've got my own thoughts on that as well, and we don't, yeah, need yeah, this, no, no, <laughs> we need Brian, It would be like Brian and Matt versus
2: me on the free will discussion, and then I'd walk out of the room and chill my free will.
0: let's try to try of that right now is yeah,
1: what yeah. the world does not need no 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 so yeah. you want to be able to have deep smart discussions with people yeah. about things that are important to them as well right mm, like of course like i remember talking to mark about cryptocurrency years before he wanted to get involved yeah or even discuss it with me i remember things that mark was doing with call of duty that i would write these emails and, and then it turned out they were right right and that you can yeah. refute stuff but But the idea is that you just want to be heard as a friend and then you want to have these discussions, but you, you love people that you can be around that don't take offense to stuff like that.
0: Yes, of course. Yeah. hundred percent. You're trying to help.
1: Yeah. You want your ideas to to really
2: fortify what your ideas and what your worldview is. And that's so in order to have that, you have to have trust in a creative working relationship. If you can establish the trust, I would always talk with my team about this too. It's like, you want the criticism. You just want to make sure it's coming from the right place. If it's coming from the right place, you need to hear it. You may still, as Matt notes, you know, you might still disagree or whatever, but you want it like you need it. Um, It's good. It's good. It's healthy. Yeah,
0: I I agree. Myself and legendary bassist Johnny Christ had had discussions about how we put together tracks. Like, I'm all for it. If someone's got something that can make my nine or ten, I want to hear it. Like, was that after
2: he had his drinks?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was. He was (laughs) shit-faced at the Hollywood Palladium at the time, as well. Actually, sorry, Johnny, but you know, you were.
1: so, I've been there before, I feel for
0: him. <laughs> I can believe it. So so I guess how I wanted to kind of wrap this up as we get to the end of this, of this chat is, it feels like we're at a point in time where your two worlds are going to not smash into one another so much as like, in my mind, like hold hands and double clothesline the future. Does it feel like the world of music and gaming when we're reaching where we're reaching with NFT culture and metaverse culture and where we're going in the future, developing games, it feels like it might be the role of bands as well now. Um, Is that a future that I'm looking at and seeing clearly, or am I slightly off with that assessment? Because it feels like this is where where the world's heading. Can
1: I tee you up here, Mark? I know you're, I know you're, the thing about the utopian future of creators create everything and this and that Mark has told me over and over, it's hard to make games and it's hard to make great games. And that's really what it doesn't matter if you have a cryptocurrency attached or an NFT or what kind of beautiful like DAO system you have set up or governance or this or that. You need those people that are extremely talented to create Great games.
2: Um, I'll leave it at that, Mark. Go ahead. And I know you have opinions on this. No, you did. A, that's, I mean, what Matt said is is what I say. Um, it's like when people say like, oh, yeah, Call of Duty. And like, you know, you made it. And it's like the first thing I'll say is like, yeah, you know what? I worked on it and I helped. But there was like hundreds of, uh, now there's thousands, but hundreds of people who are super talented and super committed. And whenever Matt and I would look at something, it would always be like, okay, just show me the team. Like I want to go straight to the team. Like I'm down with the concept, or maybe the concept's okay, or we can evap- we can we can, you know, make it great. I'm not saying concepts aren't important, they are, but it's like it's all about execution, it's all about the team. It's literally how zombies came about through their passion and their and and, and everything else. <laughs> I think it's a, yeah, It's important to note that Matt is a game developer. Yeah. Um, he made and directed. He directed. He was the creative director, writer, art director on their mobile game that they made, which, uh, you know, I remember him going off and doing. He's like, I'm, I'm going to make a game. And I'm, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay. Say goodbye to whatever else you were doing at the time, and he's just like, "Well, I could, you know," uh, and because he had a bunch of sweet, awesome ideas, right? Um, but then, like, somebody's coding them and designing them and this, and it's not, you know, it, it, it. I won't talk for Matt, but. I would talk to him on the same weekends and the late nights that I was you know doing my gig uh, back in the day. you know he was suddenly doing game development work and, and real game development work and they released a game that, that I know he put a ton of time into. think that you're gonna see a lot more musicians try to you know figure out how to enter this realm but the way matt did it was as a game developer like i mean i know he we we worked together as musicians but when he did the thing he wasn't like oh here's my music for the game and here's my death bad art and some of the sketches of things that i thought about and let the guy go do it and give him feedback and just executive produced it no that would be a lot of work and is important. But he decided he was going to do that and be the creative director on the project, which means every you know every sprite, every pixel, every level, every sound effect went through him, and that is an insane level of commitment that I do not believe most musicians will want to uh, mm. will want to or even have the you know the experience or the skills to do it unless they want to invest their time. I think they they can. It's just a huge time investment, and so Matt parlayed all this work that he'd done playing games work, quote unquote. Right. Yeah. And then he got down to the quite a bit different business of making them. It's like, yes, at the end you get to play them. And along the way you do play test them, but you're mostly finding bugs and things like this. It's a lot of work. And, uh, and he, he, but he, but he, but he brought that experience to the table was happy and he put the time in and he learned and he is, you know, he's a developer.
0: Yeah. And Matt, just to, to, to close up on games and music. I totally take what Mark's just said and completely agree with it in that I think there's sometimes bands like have an idea of like, Oh, we'll do a game or we'll do a whatever. And it's just kind of like, like just a tick a box rather than uh, like the sevenfold way, which is if we're going to do something, it has to be of a high standard. High standards,
1: one word, but I think it's just gotta be passion. It's gotta be passion, right? Yeah, it doesn't yeah, mean of course. it's going to be a 10 out of 10 doesn't mean anything other than, you know, if you want to do it and you want to represent yourself or your, your art in a way, then you have to yeah. be for every step of the way. You can't have somebody doing level design and someone doing art that isn't immersed in your culture. The mm. same way Mark wouldn't let, you know, some random band waltz into call of duty and just put a song in there. Yeah. It's, every single aspect has to be dealt with on a level that, you know, like it's, it's like, it's your baby and everything from, our game or mobile game, which was an incredible learning experience. But one thing that it taught me is that now that we're in web three, everyone that promises games, I know most of it's bullshit because it's really hard. <laughs> and so, you know, and then everything from that to death bats club, right. Where you spend yeah. a year cutting your teeth, learning about these things. And then you try to, you start seeing a, an Avenue and you start seeing holes in the equation. And you try to fill those and you try to yeah. fill in the gaps and make it the best it can be. Does that mean, that we know every great idea or what's coming around every corner? No. But we yeah. do know that we want to keep things as personal and as close to our hearts as possible if it's going to represent us.
0: i got to say, like I hope you've enjoyed listening to this as much as I've enjoyed this conversation because it's so cool to just hear what is important about creating on a show that is about the music that has been created by Avenge Sevenfold. There are so many lines and and avenues for creativity and it's been so rad to spend an hour having this conversation with the two of you mark especially thank you so much for, for your time i know you don't do it's much in the way of chatting and interviews so it's a real pleasure to have you on the show and uh, matt i'll see you on the next episode where we start discussing all things specifically not ready to die
2: I'm not ready.
0: That is it for part one of our Not Ready to Die special here on Tracks. Thanks again to Mark Lamia for joining us. Of course Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 new details are all out there go and check it out. But thanks again to Mark for joining us. Matt Sin, Johnny, Zaki all going to be back on part two of our Not Ready to Die special so make sure you subscribe for that. And of course another reason to subscribe is that episode four is going to be on Roman Sky from the stage. Go to a7xworld.com go and get the Not Ready to Die t-shirts, only going to be available for a very short period of time and of course the 1 of 1 NFT going to be being given away, if you are a Death Bats club holder, go and check out the DBC Discord and there will be more details about that I will see you next week, I've been Bees, this has been Tracks, the official Avenged Sevenfold podcast, see you next week
1: What are you doing? Practicing <laughs> so hard. Oh! Hey goddammit!
2: Our fans are expecting a killer show tonight. So do not fuck this <laughs> up! <laughs>